You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Transplantation, produced in cooperation with Indiana University Health, covering current issues and practices in transplant medicine. IU Health, discover the strength of a leading national transplant center. Your host is Dr. Aaron Carroll, Associate Professor of Pediatrics, Director of the Center for Health Policy and Professionalism Research, and Associate Director of Children's Health Services Research at Indiana University School of Medicine. Transplantation offers patients a new opportunity for life, but the process of waiting for an organ and recovering after transplant can be stressful. How can healthcare providers ensure better quality of life and help foster satisfying lifestyles for patients surrounding transplantation? Our guest is Dr. Patricia Scott, Associate Professor of Occupational Therapy at the Indiana University School of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences, and Adjunct Associate Professor, Transplant Surgery at Indiana University School of Medicine. Dr. Scott, welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. For patients undergoing transplantation, the procedure can be life-changing in a number of ways. What are some of the biggest challenges that patients might encounter in approaching their everyday lives before and after transplantation? Well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people consider transplantation the actual surgery and the recovery of the organs. And in fact, it's a lot more than that. People wait often for years before actually getting an opportunity to get an organ. And during that time, it can be very stressful because the person's health is declining and they're continuing to find it more and more difficult to carry out everyday basic activities. So... What are the challenges that patients might face from the stress that they would face from waiting for an organ? Well, a lot of it is this sense of loss of identity. You know, if you were somebody who was a person who took care of your family and you took care of your home, all of a sudden you couldn't do that because of the fatigue or perhaps encephalopathy that goes along with liver failure where somebody becomes very confused. You may lose the ability to continue to work while you're waiting and getting sicker and sicker waiting for the transplant. So you start to get into that pattern where you don't feel very good about yourself and things can be very stressful. Can the emotional impact with the stress surrounding the process of waiting for an organ, can that have an effect on a patient's physical health? Mostly in terms of being frustrated. Certainly our emotional health does affect our physical health in terms of an individual being afraid that they may not be called for an organ, people stopping doing healthy behaviors because they feel like their life is on hold, and also the stress of needing to negotiate with other people to do basic activities that they used to take care of. For example, if you can't mow the lawn any longer, somebody else is going to have to do it. You can't pick up the kids from school because you're not able to drive any longer. Then somebody else has to do it. If you're not able to support your family because of work, somebody else has to. So, Do you have any examples or stories, something to perhaps personalize it, of transplantation patients you've worked with whose physical health was compromised by the challenges or stresses that they had encountered while waiting for a transplantation? Yeah, I do. Unfortunately, there's too many people who experience a lot of stress in their interpersonal relationship. And if they don't have a good, strong relationship prior to the stress of waiting for a transplant, then a lot of relationships will break up because it is very stressful. Can you talk a bit about the concept of valued roles for patients who've undergone transplantation? 
Sure, it's all tied up in valued roles. Valued roles are the things that we do where we identify ourselves to the world around us. I don't know that I know of anyone who said, okay, what is your major role? Well, I'm a patient. I'm waiting for a liver transplant. It's not a role that anyone aspires to, and it's also not one that most people know how to handle, know what to do with. Valued roles, you know, it's, I feel good about myself when I, somebody says, what do you do? And I say, I'm a professor. I do research in transplantation. If I were to say, I'm waiting for a transplant, I'm on disability, that wouldn't make me feel so good about myself. Roles are the way that we do identify ourselves and do the things that are important to us. How can we find out what each patient considers to be his or her valued role? I use a very simple checklist. It's called the role checklist. It talks about what a person has done in the past, what they're doing currently in the present, and what they aspire to do in the future. And then there's another section that rates how important, how valued each of those are. And that way, I identify the kinds of things that an individual would like to be able to go back to. What we find prior to transplant and then after transplant is that they are participating in very few roles, maybe roles as a family member. But there's another section of the checklist that asks them, how well are you performing this role compared to your highest level of past performance? And they don't feel very good about that. Is there a relationship between a transplant recipient's participation in their valued roles and their quality of life? Yeah, clearly. We just finished a study of 161 transplant recipients at the Indiana University and found that these recipients who were about five years out of transplant, the more roles that they participated in, the higher their level of quality of life. And it was a clear relationship between the two of them. Are valued roles primarily occupational? In other words, are they work or professional activities? Or are there other valued roles as well? And if there are, what are some examples of those? You know, being in the field of occupational therapy, associate occupation with work. And occupation is really much more than that. My occupation may be as a gardener. It might be as an artist. It might be as a patron of the symphony. It might be a homemaker. It might be a parent to a child. It could be a caregiver for a spouse or for a family member. There's a whole range of valued roles that are important to people. And worker is just one of those roles. How do you measure outcomes with respect to occupational role performance? We look at quality of life. We look at whether or not somebody is satisfied with the way that they are spending their time, whether they've been able to integrate the new habits, the new routines that one has after they have a transplant, because there's a whole series of medications you have to take. You have to take them on time. You have to incorporate certain behaviors that will help you avoid infections because you're immunosuppressed. And it's important to get to a point where you can kind of make those no longer primary in your life, that you integrate those roles and then you go on and you take care of the things that are valuable to you. Some people do that pretty automatically, and other people really struggle with that. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Advances in Transplantation on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Carroll. Our guest today is Dr. Patricia Scott, Associate Professor of Occupational Therapy at Indiana University School of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences and Adjunct Associate Professor of Transplant Surgery at Indiana University School of Medicine. 
We're discussing the lifestyle aspects of transplantation from the waiting list to the road to recovery. What can healthcare professionals do to reduce stress and some of the challenges that patients might face before transplantation? I think the biggest thing that healthcare professionals can do is to provide people with education. Tell them what is going to happen, what to expect. Because when people can plan for the recovery time, it comes as less of a shock. Often you think about the transplant and all the attention is on the surgery, and then you get a transplant, and then bingo, everything's better. And that's just not the way it is. People can take months up to a year to really get back to pre-transplant levels of function. And some people have a lot of complications post-surgery. And in my work right now, I'm working with people in the first eight weeks post-discharge, and I hear frequently, I had no idea it would be this difficult for so long. The patients are getting frustrated because it's taking so long. It's a big surgery. It's a big period of wound healing. And the body takes a long time to get used to the medication. So the transplant professionals are very concerned with continuing to keep that person alive. And the families are going through a very frustrating time. Support groups are invaluable to them to talk to other people that what they're experiencing is not unique. Others are experiencing it too. Also, contact with people who've been through transplantation. There's a lot of transplant mentor programs that go on where people who have been through the process are paired with individuals who are starting to go through the process. I'd imagine that transplantation can be stressful for the people surrounding the patient as well, including caregivers. What can we do to help them? Caregivers are... I think really neglected and underrated in many ways. After the transplant, all the attention is on the person who's received the transplant, as it should be. But the caregivers often feel outside of the loop. And again, I know it sounds redundant, but support, information, just really involving caregivers in putting them in contact with other people who have gone through the process. What are the types of occupational therapy that might be helpful for transplant recipients who are having difficulty participating in their usual valued roles? Sure. There's several things that an occupational therapist can do as they get involved with people who have transplantation. Initially, a lot of work simplification, energy conservation sorts of things, a lot of role negotiation. What can you do? How can you simplify a role? How can you start to get involved? There are lifting restrictions. There are restrictions in going around other people who may have colds or, you know, being in crowds. The person is fatigued for a very long time. That's one of the things that we're really trying to get a handle on in this study to prepare people for the intense fatigue. And the occupational therapist can help the person make some decisions about what they can spend their energy doing so that they can continue to get stronger, but not overdo, because that can be very dangerous as well. So there are many members of a transplantation team involved in the care of a patient who has undergone transplantation. Are all of them involved in trying to improve quality of life, or are there some team members who are best equipped to help patients with the waiting and the recovery process? 
It's critical for the medical professionals, the transplant coordinators, the physicians, uh, both the surgeons and the hepatologists, if we're talking about liver transplant, or the um, nephrologists for kidneys, to support the health of that individual. The surgery is huge, and the likelihood of rejection, especially in the first three months, is very high. During that time, there's also members of the team, such as the psychologists, the social workers, and occupational therapists, who can really help the individuals to deal with that coping period, that period of, you know, moving forward and getting through. Support people are critical because the individual cannot be by themselves when they first leave the hospital, cannot drive for an extended period of time, and are not able to meet their own needs. And so there is a lot of roles for individuals such as occupational therapists to be very helpful during that time when the person's adapting and the family's adapting. How common is it for occupational therapists to be involved with transplant rotation recipients before during and after treatment? Unfortunately, not very. Problem is that there's a shortage of occupational therapists, and our health care system is primarily a medical care system. It's not a system that supports quality of life. And so the occupational therapist is primarily seeing patients immediately after surgery while they're in the hospital and preparing them to perform basic activities of daily living, grooming, bathing, dressing, and the other kinds of functional skills tend to get lost. What further research do you think is needed in the area of quality of life for transplant recipients? I really am focusing more on trying to identify patterns of recovery. People don't all experience the same recovery patterns, and it's frustrating for family members, recipients, because the transplant team will often say, well, it varies. It depends on the person, which is very true because, you know, the course is very different. And what we're trying to do with the research that we're doing right now is to identify some factors which can predict certain patterns of recovery so that we're able to give people a little bit more specific information. For example, we know that 80% of the people who are going to go back to work do so within the first year. But we don't know exactly when within that first year they're going back to work. Most people go back by six months. But how many are most people? And are those the people who, you know, had uncomplicated surgeries Do uncomplicated surgeries mean that somebody is going to be less able to return to valued roles, valued activities? Those are the kinds of things that we're looking at. We've been talking with Dr. Patricia Scott about the lifestyle aspects of transplantation. Dr. Scott, thank you for being our guest. You're very welcome. You have been listening to Advances in Transplantation on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. This program is produced in cooperation with Indiana University Health the strength of a leading national transplant center. Discover the strength at iuhealth.org forward slash transplant. To find more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.